0: This is the Woke Money Podcast. My name is Thuma Dube and I'm from Cape Town, South Africa. This podcast is about all things ESG and sustainable finance, what we call here, the Woke Money. And if you'd like weekly updates on all things ESG and sustainable finance on the African continent, subscribe to the newsletter. That's walkmoney.substack.com. Let's dig in. Guest for this episode is Debuchomak Abai. She is the head of ESG and Impact at Sunlum Investment. She's an impact investing professional who is passionate about directing investment capital to address the most pressing social and environmental issues in society today. She also played a role in the development and the launch of the Sunlum and Business Day ESG barometer, which is something that we have a chat about. This episode. Let's dig in. Thank you for making the time to to have this conversation with me for this uh, second episode of the podcast. Um, And I think it just came at the right time with the ESG barometer being something that you guys were launching in partnership with with, well Intellidex helping you guys put that all together I had an opportunity to read a report that they had done before about the impact on ESG on capital flows into emerging markets Mm -hmm. so it was kind of nice to see a little bit of that golden thread coming through a little bit here uh, in the report in some parts and it kind of raised a couple of interesting conversations but we'll get to that and as well as had a chance to have a look at uh, Sunlum Investments' impact report. There's a case study there which I think also kind of raises a really interesting conversation um, around ESG. It's linked to what Intellidex was writing about, about how ESG is used, let's say, by the Global North and how they invest in the Global South, as well as what what have you guys been up to on the sustainable finance front. So thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Um, I won't keep you long um, and hopefully you'll have will have some fun.
1: Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Tuma. Thanks for inviting me on your podcast. Great to be a, be- a guest and I look forward to our conversation. So I
0: think let's, let's just kick off with the barometer since, you know, it's still fresh, still top of mind. Um, I had an opportunity to have a look at it again uh, this afternoon. Um, and I think what really kind of stuck out to me right up in the beginning of the barometer was sort of this question about uh, the shift in how ESG is 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 applied. And it's in one of the introductory articles that are in in the report. I'm not too sure whether or not you've had an opportunity to look at it, but it's the shift from ESG being about risk management um, to being about additionality. And the way in which I kind of interpreted it and and I and now maybe just shoot this to you and let and let me know what you think is it's all fine and well to have an ESG framework that seeks to protect investments from ESG risks, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's all fine and good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of also raises the, the, the question of whether or not once invested, should those, shouldn't those ESG frameworks go a little bit further? And should investors drive change in the companies that they are invested in for positive ESG outcomes? And that was interesting to me because just a couple of days before reading the barometer, I read about what Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, had said yes. when he said something like managers are capitalists and not activists, mm-hmm. and that their job really isn't to tell companies what to do or to tell them how to how, how to do it. I'd, I'd love to know what you think about all of that um, and, and whether or not you had an opportunity to see that bit in, in, uh. in the report and, and maybe reflect on that a little bit.
1: Sure. Um, yeah. Thanks for that topic, and I think that's an interesting one because uh, when you speak of additionality, which is academically or just the term is usually used in when in investments, it's usually adopted on the alternative sides, which are impact investments, and usually those that are impact in a sense that they're going to areas where capital doesn't go, uh, they taking on risk and therefore putting in it's like additionality in that if that funding had not come through that particular product or service wouldn't have reached that target market Um, and that's where most maybe just traditional fund managers banks or financial uh, institutions or financiers of money wouldn't go so the concept is usually seen in that way now to take the idea of additionality and put it in ESG, I think for most people, it's sort of a stretch. Um, I mean, ESG as a risk framework, I mean, you're referring to uh, to Larry's comments from BlackRock is, is already, there's a pushback against it just in general, even as a risk framework. And I think for someone who uh, is a capitalist or understands business or has been in traditional investments, um, that's the easiest way to sort of persuade them in terms of the importance of ESG, like, you know, it's financial materiality if you're not taking into account these issues. Now moving it beyond financial materiality and saying, yes, you know, I've considered issues that may be financially material to my operations or business. But now over and above that, what what can I do? What additionality is this? And I mean this idea has also come with the whole double materiality thing where like now it's not only looking at uh, your business and operation is how is your how's your service or product impacting society or the planet and and that's where the additionality part comes in Um, and how I want to view it I mean it's also in the ESG barometer and one of the articles I also contributed to is if you see esg as just a tick box exercise or like leave it at that or just like these are done then i don't think you'd go to an extent to look at uh the quality of esg and your integration and uh just the impact and output of having taken esg into consideration in your product so if we take diversity and inclusion for instance if you just tick boxes that you know we've got certain females this number of uh black or african workers then we're good but you're not really take into account, you know, how involved are they in the business? What's their voice? Do they have the same power? You know, are they uh, contributing to the conversation as much as we want? Because ultimately, that's what that's the power of diversity, right? It's that difference in thinking and ideas and just that quality and moving the dial a bit more traditionality, additionality like um, more than ESG, that's where the real difference is, where you really go, you embrace the essence of what ESG is uh, and not just take it as something that needs to be done and that's it.
0: No, no, 100%. And, you know, I was having a chat earlier this week about the, the different ways. And and, I, and this is a, a debate that also happens within within the the Barometer Report and anyone would like to to access it. Um, I'm happy to share a link of it in in the show notes of this particular episode was um, the way in which the difference between different fund managers kind of approach ESG. For some, it's something that they have to do in order to satisfy the LP requirements, right? Mm. Um, um, And for others, it really is just purely something to plug in into the existing risk management framework. And it's just additional data points in order to uh, assess risk uh, of whatever opportunity might be there um, and for some, a, b- a little bit of the two previous points, but also where they can identify opportunities to to earn excess returns. And, and I think that's the part, or perhaps that's the approach to ESG that I'm most perhaps excited about, is that in fact, it can reveal opportunities up, uh, upon where additional uh, returns can be earned. But I think that comes with time as well, uh, in terms of how ESG is then, is then integrated within the marketplace uh, yeah. by participants of, of, of that marketplace we, we learn we grow into that sort of into the sort of outlook once the evidence of it becomes a little bit clearer but I think the evidence is still a bit murky as to how ESG yeah. can lead to to, to to some excess returns yeah. but also I think what that debate did um raised something that I've, I found quite interesting and I think this is the one article that Stuart wrote in the report. The S&P 500 ESG index excluding Tesla, but has ExxonMobil, um, but Tesla obviously has such an impact on things like CO2 emissions with with EVs and ExxonMobil being, well, big oil. Um, and, and how that kind of seems un, un, unfair. Are, are we still unclear as to what the difference is between ESG and impact or, or what it means and what it doesn't mean? And what we actually mean when we say we're measuring something or evaluating something based on its impact on social and environmental environmental issues. I mean, should ESG scores be a reflection of impact mm. or are they just about, well, of the ESG issues that are material to this company, mm. they account for them well and they manage them well?
1: I think this is a whole debate, right? Because I think also in terms of, uh rating agencies as well there's a whole methodology behind which at times like with your S&P and I mean I know particularly with MSCI is proprietary so we can't even dig deep on these scores and see where the discrepancies are and why you know the TELSA versus Exxon but uh I think it, it depends how you approach the whole uh, ESG thing. So there are others who would score ESG factors based on financial materiality. So if you look at the SSB framework, so that's basically looking at financial materiality. And then there's others who go beyond that. Not only that, but also looks at uh, the impact, like additionality, we can say over and above your financial materiality. Are you really taking this into consideration, something like what diversity, you know, it's not really necessarily a financial material issue one may consider, but it is a, a good business practice and it has a long-term impact. But then it, it depends how, how these rating, uh, industries then look at it, you know, do they only look at material as in you in the space um, and being in the space, you know, these are the material things with you. The other aspect is that, you know, the TELSA-Exxon conversation is you can have two companies which have, say, for instance, have a similar risk exposure. Uh, or both could be companies dealing with fossil fuels or high emitters. But the difference is how one company uh, manages or mitigates those risks, which could maybe enhance, make their scores better. So, not necessarily because they have high exposure, may uh, they're probably scored lower, but it would be more that. In they have a high exposure. And in addition to that, there's no clear sign of what management's plans are, in terms of reducing that CO2 emission, or looking at alternatives, or just a, a clear directive. Or even another thing, you know, with the rating agencies is non-disclosure. So some companies don't disclose well, and as a result of that, uh, they are unable to just make it make it work. So I think those are the different things we could look at. Um, and yeah, I, I don't, I don't think there's clarity. I think also ESG is not, I think we fund managers, you know, scoring companies and even fund managers who decide to score on their, on their own will have to decide on how they want to approach it. I mean, we spoke about this financial, uh, materiality, it's not like, a I don't think it's a standardized approach that it should be the same across the board. Um, I think there, there needs to be more work done, yes, in understanding ESG, but more also understanding your context, you know, localized issues, um, you know, industry, and also values, you know, what what we deem as more important and not, especially when you're moving outside of financial materiality, where you're like, okay, these are the other things I think are important that we want to put forward um, as additionality or impact features, so we're going to actually weigh this, as important in us scoring or thinking about ESG and values. So I think that there's that conversation to be had, that it's not just homogeneous. Um, I think it has to be, you have to take in so many factors into account and I think even as a fund manager, you won't just take any scores. Some may not speak to a strategy. So you need to, in a sense, have a philosophy of how you wanna apply it in uh, a strategy.
0: And I don't think that that's a necessarily a, a bad thing, right? That we may have mm. all different approaches. Um, but tell me, how how does Sunlam Investments approach ESG and, and impact?
1: Yeah, so the way we approach it, so mostly in terms of uh, integration, Uh, ESG issues that are financially material, we integrate it in uh, the different investments that we have. So Salam Investors is mostly As a South African investor, we understand that we have a limited investment universe. So we don't apply any screens. Uh, You know, we don't divest from certain uh, investments. Uh, What we do when it's issues that are important, such as climate or uh, transformation, we approach that from an engagement perspective. So that's a very big tool for us or strategy where we engage with companies to influence and drive uh, a difference and change but in terms of accounting for the esg risk that is done in a integration in our valuations you know we look at what are the financial material issues in certain sectors um, and how do we want to value that particular company taking that into account and does it make sense you know to either Put it in a whatever line item in a DCF or not. So those are the two things I'd say: integration mostly, and then in terms of engagement, in terms of driving that change that we we want to see. Uh, barring that, uh, you know, we have this limited investment universe, which is has concentrations in in certain sectors and subsectors, um, and to ensure that we deliver. You know, good returns, and we're still ESG cognizant. Uh, that's the approach we've have decided to take as Sunlam Investments.
0: No, oh, great, and, and, and I'd love to explore how that how that plays out um, with with a case study. But before we 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 get there, I just want to wrap up around the the, the barometer with, with with a couple of questions there, or maybe a couple of observations uh, from 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 what were some of the findings in the barometer, but firstly, I'd like to ask, were there any surprises for you um, in the barometer based on how respondents responded to the survey and, and what that kind of looked like in the final analysis?
1: Yeah, I mean, not not as much, but you know, I think the one thing is that uh, similar to probably surveys that scoring companies do, uh, what the barometer is, it was like self-reporting. so you know, some of this information is not evidenced um, necessarily, it was company's view. But I think it was also just the idea, it wasn't a surprise, but more of an encouragement of how many companies say that uh, ESG, they try and embed it into their strategy. Um, It points to the progress and that, you know, how ESG is like integrated and factored into the overall business strategy. And it's not like a, a standalone thing or primarily something driven exclusively through CSI. So that was one. And and just the reasons for, for companies to, for the reasons that they have an ESG strategy or put it in, you know, the barometer results, it was like uh, neck on neck. So uh, about uh, 41. Uh, Respondents said they want to achieve uh, impact in society. You know, which is a great thing. Speaks to the idea of additionality, which the barometer is trying to check. And uh, the same number as well said to attract investors. And one might think that the two points are not speaking to each other. You know, but I mean, it makes sense, which is great. Like you want to attract investors at the same time making a difference to society um so i think that was quite great and a a very good balance for you that you know we're not just seeing esg as um an investor thing it is to also make a difference in society, but it's also not just a societal uh, philanthropy aspect is that we actually can also make money while doing it, because which is a distinction that we've always had to make and with your opening comments with, you know, what Larry was saying and the conversation in the USA with the Republicans, where it's you choose whether you want profitability or ESG. So it's good to see that integration in responses. Yeah,
0: and I think one thing that I kind of enjoyed as well about this from from some of the responses I was seeing. I mean, I'm looking at what most relevant ESG risk, the first one out there was to maintain good employee relations. All right. I found that very interesting that that would be one way that respondents felt was the number one ESG risk that they are faced with, Mm -hmm. um, as well as then the number two being, well, climate change and its potential negative effects on company resources. And, and for me, that was kind of in, indicative of maybe where the driver for ESG adoption is coming from, mm. uh, right? It, it's coming from a realization that to attract good employees, to retain good employees, this is important. That also that there's an appreciation of of, of the climate crisis, but also that one thing tying to what you said is what is a, a key strategic objective of those who are integrating ESG is to make a positive impact both on the environment and on society. I found that that to be quite a neat sort of alignment of, of people and planet being the drivers of ESG and not necessarily regulatory pressure, for instance, Mm. that feels as though we're not having to force South African companies to do this, but Mm. that the awareness campaigns, the conversations, the debates, the science, um, is one of the studies that have been done from a socio-economic perspective are landing with with with, with company executives and, and in businesses that are listed on the stock exchange. Would that be an accurate reading of these results?
1: Yeah, I think it's actually very accurate. And I think the other encouraging thing is that uh, none of these disclosures or ESG requirements are necessarily regulated in South Africa. So this is, uh, you know, purely voluntary. Uh, yes, there might be investor pressure, but it, it's great to see such positive responses in an environment where there's less regulation uh, on ESG. So, I mean, it, it also shows that, you know, companies do see value in ESG and, and what it means for them and where what that means for long-term sustainability, taking into account all these issues.
0: And would you say, I think one of the questions that were asked were the expectations for financial returns on ESG. A large majority expect that with their ESG initiatives, with the integration of ESG, that the financial returns will be either in excess of their cost of capital or just on par with the cost of capital. Does that put to bed the the debate around whether or not ESG um, is positively correlated with financial outperformance?
1: You know, I think this question is so tricky because I actually was having this conversation with a colleague. Um, So I've seen academic studies that, you know, will look back and and just integrate ESG issues and see uh, what the financial performance perhaps would have been. Um, I've seen academic studies on both, some that agree, some are against. Um, And the question is like, you know, what's the inclusion again, the whole thing of ESG, how they're taking it into account. I just think they still we're still early on in the game, and I think uh, we're trying very hard to be conclusive in terms of what it means. Uh, we've seen it being applied badly. I mean, you saw uh, end of last year funds that applied exclusionary um, ESG, which were Article Nine exclusion on fossil fuels, performing badly. You know, there were heavyweight tech companies and. Companies that were, you know, were nanometers, but they weren't doing so well. It wasn't a good year for them. And all companies were doing well. And so they lost out. Um, but also, there are other companies which applied ESG differently and, you know, they did well. So I think it's very hard to argue it from just an umbrella ESG application. It, it works out. I think you still need to have your other investment processes and, you know, stock picking and what's your approach? You know, do you do best in class? I think you need a philosophy or do you want a company that probably has a plan? You can see where its ESG scores are or do you want where you can uh imp- influence, um, and then you still need to put in your your financial return hurt. I think it needs a bit more thought. I think it's a bit more complex. Uh, And I think the important thing is that ESG does not act on its own. It has to be integrated in your overall investment strategy and mandate. And I think in the coming years, we'll probably have a bit more of an idea of, you know, what's the best approach, what has worked. It's still very early to start. There are teething problems. There are others who made bad calls and will say this ESG thing doesn't work. Uh, there are others who moved from Article Eight, Nine, went to Eight, and some some other six. Um, you just need to find what works for you. I'd say that for for that response. I know it's not really what you know, the question was saying, but uh, I'm a bit cognizant of one way or the other. I think it's a bit more complex and, and which is the challenge. And I guess uh, the encouragement and the exciting part is that we need to engage it and see how best to apply it um, to still bring, you know, sustainable investments, but that are also financially uh, bring the right yields that we want.
0: No, fair enough. So I guess safe to say that the jury is still out on that particular question. The signs are positive, at least from what executives are expecting to see uh, from, from their application of ESG strategies and the like. No, fair enough. Just to wrap up on the barometer. How was the process? How involved were you? Did you have a lot of fun doing it? Would you do it again next year?
1: Yes, I mean, I, I absolutely enjoyed it. Uh, as you mentioned, IntelliDEX helped us with the research. It was great to be engaging with them uh, in preparation for it, seeing the results initially before they we launched, uh, yeah, just probing questions, finding out more, getting an idea of what South African companies, especially the JSE listed, are thinking about ESG. It was definitely fun to think of, what does additionality mean in the listed space? we've always reserved that for the alternatives. And I think I I probably enjoyed that the most where we're like, you know, how are these companies moving beyond ESG and to have some of the case studies. So that was really helpful.
0: Um, I speak for a lot of people in saying that we hope to see this uh, happen year on year so we can see if there's any movements in some of uh, the results we're observing in this year's report to see whether or not sentiment changes around some of the questions that were asked. Uh, and see where we are five years from now, um, and, sure. and see whether or not what that movement. I think that would be very interesting to, to 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 look at.
1: So we definitely set to to release it for the next two years as well, um, and review after that. Just like what we've had, the feedback has been great um, at the launch as well. Just the questions, the attendance, virtually and in person, really great. You know, it's it's encouraging. South Africans really want to talk about this both investors and corporates have more conversations on ESG. But also I feel like there's really a yearning to also have that global South conversation because, you know, as I was picking up from the launch and conversation around like, you know, ESG um, was not something new in South Africa. We just never called it ESG. Uh, And yet the conversation seems to be driven more from the global North but uh, we've always had, you know, King 4, which was launched '94, for in South Africa. So we're already thinking of governance issues there. But in terms of the S, you know, our B scores, you know, in thinking of uh, diversity and inclusion, we've always thought of that. We even quantify that and measure that. So as a country, uh, this is something we've always done. And I think we, we need to talk more about it and, and highlight our contribution to the conversation as well.
0: To move on to the next, I was reading your guys' impact report, uh, which I found to be very informative, uh, very useful, um, right, in the way in which it was written. I think I got to understand not just what you're doing, but why you're doing it, right? And, and, And that's the kind of thing you want to get out of a report. Um, and I was very interested in the case study you guys put in there around Glencore, for instance. And mm. it was interesting to me because like I said, I'd read the report by Intellidex about ESG's impact on capital flows to emerging markets. And one of the findings, um, and I am hope I'm remembering this correctly here, was that it kind of inhibits flows into the emerging markets because it's used as a screening tool. Mm. Um, so global investors aren't looking at Africa's ESG potential into the future, but looking at its ESG position or score today. But with the Glencore case study, you guys kind of took a different approach and you will correct me if I'm wrong here as well. And I'm hoping I'm going to remember this correctly as well, in the sense that you said this was the company, yes, that had its troubles, but they've done something about it. What we see from a governance, social and environmental perspective and even from an impact perspective, because what they're mining is what we need for our transition, that they have a potential to be a, an ESG leader. So we are staying invested in them because of that potential. Be something that we should be exporting, that kind of outlook.
1: Yes. So, I mean, it it, it it also speaks to the point I was making earlier when you were asking about, you know, our ESG uh, companies performing better or not. I think with, and and I was like, well, it depends how you're applying it. And I think with Glencoe as well, that was a, a sustainability thinking was that, uh, first of all, with Bianco's central to its investment thesis is that it ha- it has a unique capability to supply sustainable commodities for the future. You know, we're trying to transition, and to transition, there are certain commodities that we can we're gonna need. And you know, we agree that Bianco's view that the transition metals like copper, cobalt, nickel, zinc, and all of that um, that will help us achieve net zero. Uh, are some of the assets or matters that we need to look at Glenco amongst other invest, uh, investment companies uh, to get. So, so how do we approach the lenco thing? Uh, so it's more like, let's take an active ownership on this. So that was the backbone of our engagement on Glenco. Um And in active ownership, you know, we engage with the company, but also we want to see how willing are they uh, to move, recognizing the opportunity that you know, the business itself presents and for the future we want to see. Um, And if we see that, you know, there is that approach, that willingness. Yes, they're not where they're supposed to be. But uh, through uh, active ownership at Sunlam, which is like the backbone of our sustainability and integration efforts, it allows us to to address some of these uh, thematic issues we want to see, you know, the just transition, climate um, matters, board strength and all that. And that was our approach on, on Glencoe and thinking of it that way. And also to see, you know, with uh, engagement, we don't just engage once. It's a whole thing that we've opened and we measure and monitor the progress of that engagement and the outcomes there. And that was that was the idea that we take with Glencoe. What are
0: some of your other, let's say, sustainability, ESG and impact priorities for this year at Sunlab Investments?
1: So usually, uh, so when we, we look at, I mean, we, we invest in good businesses and we always engage. Uh, but when we look at, uh, we have our, our own set engagement program that we put aside. So we decide on which themes do we want to engage on uh, as as the ESG team. And based on that themes, those will be our priorities uh, for the year. And we just decide that, okay, for, for this particular year, like, this year in particular, we have five engagement priorities that we're looking at. And each time we speak to a a business or a company, we particularly want to see, you know, what quality is key diversity and inclusion climate action, just transition and alignment. And ones like board quality and remuneration, we also get to vote on on proxy through our proxy voting when the resolutions come. Um, and just based on our votes, if we decline or say yes, even there, we get an opportunity to engage with the company and say, you know, these are the reasons, this is why it's not aligning. So we just try to take that approach. And, and those are, are the key ones we look at. However, each year we look at, you know, are these the themes that we still want to keep or do we want others? And we just wanted to choose ones that uh, we felt matter and are relevant. Um, and also being aware, you know, we can't change everything and we, we can't have a broad engagement. Just if it's like forecast and directive, then we we hear what we're trying to achieve. Now,
0: I mean, I was chatting to some some colleagues as well. And again, I've, I've had a lot of conversations this week while joking around about all of these, trend reports that happen in the beginning of each year, most of them with a wide variety of trends to look out for from an ESG perspective for the year to come. But one kept cropping up more often than the others, regardless of who was writing or publishing this trends report. And that was of sustainable finance and more specifically, social bonds, green bonds, sustainability-linked loans, climate finance. It seemed to be quite a a consistent thing that was listed as a key trend to watch for 2023 is that something that's on your radar of off the back of well all of these announcements by the african development bank of on issuances that are green or, or social i know a recent one was on the australian stock exchange uh, where they raised some money there mm-hmm. are, are these instruments also on your radar Uh, things that you guys are looking into, thinking about?
1: Sure, I mean, these are definitely uh, in our radar. I think, you know, when we think of ESG or just impact, we've never really thought, like the conversation we're having earlier, that impact can be done as much on the listed side. And I think these bonds are a good opportunity for sort of like impact investing uh, type of instruments, uh, especially if you're thinking it in terms of SFDR. Article nine type, um, so there is we could do our ESG, but to really move the conversation uh, in terms of allocating capital. Um, to drive more of this renewable green energy, we can look at that. I think from a fixed income perspective, I mean, this is really uh, a great, great opportunity and we're definitely looking at that. I think more importantly, I mean, one of our things is that, you know, there's been a, quite a few bonds uh, that have been issued as well in South Africa, but mostly on the on the east side and it would be great to see more of the S bonds. It's something that, you know, we, we had a conversation i think i chatted to you about that but we had to go back to the drawing board but Definitely something that would also be looking at is more getting involved on the social side, uh, particularly to address the issues that we see more in South Africa uh, or even in the African continent, which have to do with with social issues. Um, It'd be great to see more, in addition to the great work that's been done on environmental bonds, to see more social bonds uh, come about. And and maybe that's something we need to take forward as well, uh, not wait for it and think of ways of showing up in the market from that perspective.
0: And, and we've seen uh, both asset owners and asset managers um, who are interested in making an impact, particularly on key socioeconomic indicators, mm. um, who are looking for for ways in which to do that. And, and noting the same thing that you're noting, that we're seeing a lot of green bonds, uh, but not many social bonds uh, that are going to fund social investments, social projects, or or projects that will have a social impact that they can then mm. participate in. And, and the route that I've seen them take is to adopt perhaps developmental investment policies right, mm. and identify for themselves investments, whether it's investments in economic infrastructure, whether it's investments in social infrastructure, or whether it's investments in, in projects that may improve Climate resilience, right? Well, that's still E, but, well, climate impacts impact people. So how do you build resilient communities when those impacts emerge? Uh, and rather doing it that way by, by, by developing for themselves a sort of a carve out of whatever it is that they're managing to say, we can earn some returns here, but by investing in areas that have real measurable and significant socioeconomic economic impacts and that can move the needle on some of the key social social issues but perhaps something to think about something and and i think that's probably a a whole new podcast episode on its own um, because it is something that is becoming quite, there's a renewed interest, particularly on the African continent around that.
1: Yeah. And I I think just to mention that, I mean, we are currently investing in impact funds. So this is on a, not on the listed side, but on the private market on the alternative investment. So we do have that and it's always been easier to drive it from that side of the business. So, I mean, um, we have a sustainable invest a sustainable investment infrastructure fund, which is really addressing the issue of, you know, energy, water, sanitation. And all that and our partnership with Climate Fund Managers, which their investments are for climate related solutions, both for mitigation and adaptation. Um, and we've been also looking at launching uh it should be sometime this year, social infrastructure fund, which looks at affordable housing, education and on that. So just to mention we've we've done it on the list that's on the unlisted side, but haven't really uh done it on the on the listed side. And I think through the bonds and uh, through the sustainable um, finance and, and these bonds that are there, there's opportunities to also just create impact on that side of the business from the listed side. And, and it's great. And you're right. In addition to the green ones, definitely we need to see more of the social bonds that are there.
0: Thank you so much for a lovely conversation. I think we really got a sense of of what Sunlum Investments is doing, how you guys are thinking about some of these issues, uh, what are some of your priority areas. But it was also really great to talk to you about the ESG barometer. It's something I've been looking forward to for a very long time. I'm glad that it's finally here. I'm glad that I was able to go through it and speak to somebody who was quite close to the process. And yeah, great job on this um, and look forward to future iterations of it. Um, But in the short term, looking forward to the conversations that it's going to spark. Um, And I think it's really going to get us talking about really how do we do this in a way um, that fits our context, that addresses our needs, but also helps us make some money.
1: Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks so much, uh, Guma. Always great and a pleasure chatting to you and great conversations. And yeah, I'm really excited about the conversation it's having, uh, particularly, as we mentioned, on the continent. I think one of the key issues and I think my personal interest is we need to grow to see more skills in this area uh, from the continent and from South Africa in particular, because I think they they will drive a different uh, narrative. and and bring a a perspective that's most needed to these conversations. And and it will also help apply it more and just grow, as we mentioned, what we already started as as South Africans and just enhancing our integration of these issues.
0: And that's all we have for this second episode of the Woke Money Podcast. I'd like to thank Ho for taking the time to chat to me about the ESG barometer that they have just recently launched with business day and intellidex helping to put all of that together and we definitely look forward to future iterations of the report to see if there are any changes year on year and how that sentiment evolves as we get more comfortable with some of these themes and integrating them in how we do business and make investments i also appreciate the little bit of insight that she gave us here in this episode around how Sunlam Investments is thinking about ESG, impact, and the role that it can play. Again, for all things ESG and sustainable finance, subscribe to the newsletter at workmoney.substack.com and I look forward to sharing the next episode of the Work Money Podcast with you. But until then, I hope you found this useful and check the show notes for your copy of the ESG barometer by Sunlum and Business Day. And we will also include a link to Sunlum Investments Impact Report. Cheers.